children may be dismissed for children's church. And those that are those that are remaining, if you would open your Bibles to First Timothy chapter two, please today. First Timothy chapter two. waiting on my PowerPoint. We've been working on a series of messages pretty much this whole year. I know it's kind of difficult to maintain uh, the overall big picture in uh, week-to-week preaching. So I want to just take a moment at this point to review and try to put the whole thing in in big perspective. Uh, The series title for this uh, series of messages well technology there it is okay life in the household of God themes from Timothy and Titus there are three small books towards the end of the New Testament 1st Timothy 2nd Timothy and Titus which are often called the pastoral epistles or letters of Paul. They were written by Paul to his co-workers, Timothy and Titus, who are engaged in ministry in a local church congregation. And as such, they have proven to be very helpful letters for the church down through the ages that often struggle with many of the same kinds of things that they did back in that day. And they, rem- they continue to be helpful to churches today and even for our church. And that's why we're taking the time to draw some themes from them. Um, understanding Paul's instructions to Timothy and Titus in these pastoral letters can help us in God's work, God's kingdom work here in our own church. So, uh, the series I have divided into three major divisions or sections. If it were a symphony, it would be three movements. If it were a play, it would be three acts. But, since it's a sermon series, we'll just call them three divisions. Alright? And the first was firm foundation, the word of God. False teachers were coming in and invading the churches that Paul had started, and uh, he needed a strong resource to combat that. So he encourages Timothy and Titus to uh, draw the church, get the church, first of all, back to the Bible, which for them was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. And to get back to the Gospel which for us is our New Testament now, a day. So he was urging the church to remain firm on the foundation of the Word of God. He, had, he urge, urges his co-workers to address the heresies by leading the church back to the Bible. And we talk about Because 
family should treat one another because that's somewhat of a pattern for how we are to treat one another in the church. Now, we move today into the third and final section of this series of messages, which I'm going to be calling Passing the Faith On. And today's message is somewhat introductory to the messages in this third and final section. Uh, I've called it Passing the Gospel Torch. Now, uh, this idea of passing the torch comes from the ancient Greek torch race that they used to have. Kind of like uh, a relay race in the Olympics where they passed the baton. Only back in ancient Greece, they didn't pass the baton. They passed this lit torch. I don't know how they ran with that thing without getting burned or getting stuff all down their arm. I assume they had some kind of provision for that, but uh, that's what they did. Now, the saying, however, uh, passing the torch, has come to refer to the passing on of responsibilities or traditions or knowledge from, uh, say, one person to another person or one administration to the next administration or from one generation even onto another. The passing of the gospel torch, so to speak, was a big concern for the Apostle Paul. And it's a major emphasis here, a major theme in the pastoral letters. And I want to focus on that during this final section. So our text comes from 2 Timothy chapter uh, two, from which I've gleaned several verses. And if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open and follow along. We're going to read the first two verses and then skip to some others. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, the greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you'll skip over to chapter 1 and verse 13. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
And now chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for allowing Paul to write to Timothy and, and allowing us to be able to have the record of that correspondence and how it comes down to us. And I pray that as we look at this subject of passing the gospel torch on, our hearts might be moved to respond to your Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul was deeply concerned about the passing on of the gospel and of the gospel ministry that he had been given. Now, Paul was a pretty amazing guy. Uh, God used him perhaps more than any other single individual to establish the new church in the first century. He had amazing gifts. The man could preach. He could teach. He could start churches in a pretty short, in a very short amount of time. He could keep churches going when he was at a distance, when he was even in prison. He could do, uh, God did tremendous miracles through him at various times in his ministry. He was capable of writing deep theological treatises, which we can read, about, read in the New Testament. He, uh, almost half of the New Testament is writings of the Apostle Paul. He was an amazingly tough and resilient guy. He could get beat up one week and the next week be out preaching at the next city down the street. He was an apostle of the first rank, a prophet, an evangelist, and a missionary. But one thing Paul was not. He was not a lone wolf type of guy. He was not the rock star type of Christian that sought the applause of people and uh, to keep the spotlight upon himself. He wasn't the kind of person who did all kinds of amazing things while he was alive, but then when he passed off the scene, everything just kind of fell apart because it was so heavily dependent upon him. As we read these pastoral letters, we become keenly aware of Paul's tremendous concern that the gospel ministry extend beyond what he could personally do and that it would continue on long after he had passed off the scene. And I want to show you uh, from these verses that we just read how this is true. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Timothy, Paul addresses Timothy. To Timothy, my dear what? He calls him his son. Now he's not his son in the flesh. Paul to the best of our understanding, was never married and had never had children. So he wasn't his biological child. He was not even Paul's child in the faith. Paul did not lead Timothy to faith in Christ. Timothy was led to faith in Christ by his mother and by his grandmother. He was already a, a fairly strong Christian when Paul came and uh, picked him up. He is his son in the, in the ministry, in the gospel ministry. He's concerned about passing along his ability to do ministry to other people. And he calls Timothy his son. So, um, 
Timothy was Paul's son in the ministry. Now, Jesus made disciples. You know, the 12 he gathered around him. Paul, likewise, would pick up young, uh, pros- uh, promising young men and begin to teach them and train them in ministry. Timothy and Titus were two of Paul's many apprentices. When Paul writes to them, they're busily engaged in ministry, which allows Paul to extend his apostolic influence, but that was not his only concern. Paul invested himself in these apprentices so that when these younger men, these younger apprentices, so that when he passed off the scene, they would be able to carry on the same ministry that he was engaged in. Paul was intent on faithfully passing on the gospel torch. Let's look at this further in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1. Paul says to Timothy, What you heard from me, and when he says that, he's not just talking about a casual casual conversation. He's not talking about what, what they had for lunch the other day. He says, what you heard from me, he's referring to the gospel message that he passed along to him and how to do ministry. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Now the pattern in another version says the standard. I passed along to you the gold standard of the gospel, the ministry. All right? Uh, Keep that uh, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now verse 14 Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. The good deposit is the gospel, the gospel message. They didn't have the New Testament written down back in those days. And the only way for them to pass along the gospel was to pass it on from one person to another. So he calls it the good deposit. It's like, Timothy, I'm giving you a million bucks here. And you've got to guard it and take care of it. Just like uh, those armored vehicles, you know, with the driver and the guard they've got there. They've got their guns on and they're looking around. They're carrying all the money into the bank or all the money out of the bank. Well, that's what this is like. Timothy is like the armored car guy. He's got this precious gift. It's the gospel. He's responsible to guard it, to keep it, and also to use it in the way that, that God intended for the gospel to be used. You remember the parable of the talents possibly, where a very wealthy man decides to go on a journey and he calls his servants to him and he says, here's some of my valuable possessions. Take this and go out and use it and make a profit with it. And when, you, when I come back, I will, I will see what you've done. Well, that's what Paul is telling to Timothy. I'm, I'm giving you this precious ministry of the gospel. You've got it. I've deposited it. I've entrusted it to you. Now guard it. And keep it and use it uh, according to the word of God. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Now, uh, when we come to chapter 2 and verse 2, notice this. The things that you've heard from me, Paul says to Timothy. Again, he's referring to the gospel. What you heard from me, say in the presence of... Excuse me, let me start again. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, now listen. Paul was not just concerned to pass the gospel torch from his generation, from him to the next succeeding generation, to his sons like Timothy and Titus. 
He's telling Timothy and Titus to pass that gospel on to other faithful men who can pass it on to others. You've got four generations here. Paul, Timothy, those that Timothy disciples, and those that Timothy's disciples disciples. Something like that, right? Four generations. He's talking about passing this. He's got this vision for passing the gospel torch on down through the generations, not just being successful in ministry himself. He knew he had to be concerned about more than being successful in ministry himself. He knew he had to make certain the true gospel was faithfully transmitted to persons on into the next generation who could pass it along to others and pass it along faithfully down until it comes to us. He's very intentional and deliberate about this. He was very uh, concerned about passing on the gospel torch and the gospel ministry. Now, not only did Paul do this on a personal level, that is, from one missionary to the next, he was also concerned that this same thing would, would happen in the churches that he planted and started. Let me try to show you how he did this. Uh, Paul started the church at Ephesus. See, I've got a little map here for you. All right, now you can't see Ephesus, the, the word Ephesus on here, but it's right there at the tip of that arrow, okay? He starts out in Antioch. This is his third missionary journey now. He starts at Antioch in Syria. He goes through some of the areas where he'd ministered before, and he comes to Ephesus right there on the western coast. Which, this is Turkey now, uh, today. But there it is on the western coast. It was the major town in Asia Minor. It was the Roman government center. It was a big town, uh, very bustling, busy, and a very religious town. It had this huge temple to the goddess Artemis. And the people were very proud of uh, this temple, very, very into that religion. Paul comes to this city and he starts a church there. Uh, Acts tells us he stayed there for almost three years, which is a long time for the Apostle Paul. He didn't usually stay at churches that long, which shows you something, the importance of this particular location. Well, uh, after, he had, after he leaves Ephesus, he goes on to do ministry over here in Macedonia and Greece. He starts some churches over there, and then he's got to turn back. He wants to go back to Jerusalem, and he's trying to get there by a particular time, so he's in kind of a hurry. He comes down here by boat, and instead of going to Ephesus, he doesn't want to go there. My guess is because you know how it is when you go someplace, and you've got a lot of good friends? You've got to stay there for a long time. You can't just say hi and bye. So he doesn't go there. Uh, he goes to Miletus, which is down here. It's a seaport. Uh, let me, I've got another slide here. It's kind of blurry, but you can see it pretty well. There's Ephesus up there, and here's Miletus down the coastways. And he calls for the elders of the church, Acts 20. This is all in Acts 20, by the way. Uh, he calls for the elders of the church to come down and meet him so he can give them a brief message, all right? And we have this recorded in Acts chapter 20. It's a tremendously important passage where we, we have a, a view into the ministry of the Apostle Paul and what he does. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to listen to one section of, it, section of it. Now remember, he's called these elders together. They were probably uh, household leaders of little house churches like we've talked about before. Little 
many pastors of all these congregations. The congregation probably met in a large group someplace in a public area, but they probably met from house to house and home to home, and they had a household leader in each one of these. That's what these elders probably are. Now, he says here in Acts chapter 20, be on guard. Where have we heard that before? Remember how Paul tells Timothy, guard the gospel? Well, same word. Be on guard for yourselves, first of all, and for all the flock. Now he's talking about the church. He calls the, the members like, like little sheep, right? And you're like the shepherd. So be on guard like a shepherd who's protecting the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Another word is bishop. Now Paul is going to use all three of the words that we know as being a pastor here. Uh, he goes on to say, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's the word pastoring. You call me your pastor. Well, in the Bible, they had other words for pastors. One of them was an elder. One of them was an overseer or a bishop. And then the word pastor. Actually, the pastor is the least frequently used one, but they each sort of uh, describe a different aspect of the overseer's or the elder's or the pastor's role. All right, so he's telling these guys, warning them, be guard, watch out, be on guard, watch out. And verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Well, what's he talking about there? Who's these savage wolves? He says, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. False teachers are going to rise up even from among themselves and like a, like a ferocious wolf is going to start biting on the disciples and carrying them away, tearing them away and leading them away from Christ and down to hell. Therefore, he says, be on the alert. He says, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. He's talking to these elders and saying, look, I'm taking off. You're not going to see me again, but you've got a job to do. Take care. Watch over the church. Now, Paul's prediction that savage wolves would come in and ravage the church turned out to be right on and all too true. It is some years after this speech, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years, we don't know exactly when, that Paul sends Timothy back to the city of Ephesus. That's where Timothy is when Paul writes to him the letters of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So it's back in the same location. Timothy is there ministering on behalf of Paul. And in these letters, listen to what Paul writes. He says, uh, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. This was going on, that which he had predicted. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That their teaching will spread like gangrene. You know how deadly that is. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus 
who have departed from the truth. Paul said men would rise up and begin to teach deadly things. Here's a couple of them. He names them off. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The church that Paul had labored for three years to establish was at a point of crisis. Men were rising up from among themselves and beginning to lead them away, teach them false doctrines and try to take them away from Christ. Men like Hymenaeus and Philetus were having success persuading the members of the Ephesian church to follow them in a way that was contrary to Christ. So this is the problem that Paul is facing. This is the headache that Pastor Paul is trying to deal with at a distance in his churches. So he sends Timothy and Titus to try to work with them. The challenge for them was how to go about counteracting this false teaching, this bad influence that was about to carry the believers away. How to maintain the true gospel among the members. How to be sure that the true gospel was passed on from one generation to the next, even long after he was gone. Well, Paul brings to this situation a strategy. Of course, the first step in the strategy is to send Timothy down there and to implement what he wants to get done. But he also describes the strategy for strengthening the church in his pastoral letters. And what this strategy basically boils down to is this. Paul intends to strengthen the church as the household of God by building up strong families or households within the church. Let me tell you a little bit more what he means. This is the reason that in both 1 Timothy and in Titus, Paul prescribes and describes the appointment of elders or overseers or little mini-pastors there in the churches. You see it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And you also see it in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And uh, I'm not going to read the one in Timothy, but I do want to read briefly from Titus, where Paul talks about the establishment of these elders in the, church on the, in, the, in the churches at Crete, a similar parallel situation to Ephesus. He says in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. And then he goes on to describe what an elder must be. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, You catch that phrase there? That's the same thing Paul said to Timothy. The overseer is entrusted with God's work. He's entrusted with the gospel and doing the gospel ministry. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
Now listen to verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Paul's strategy was to build up the church by building up the household units in the church. These little house churches. He built up the household units in the church by raising up strong, capable, faithful men with exemplary Christian character who could teach the pure gospel and refute those who taught false doctrine. That was his strategy for strengthening the church and passing the gospel and torch on and the gospel ministry on to the next generation. Now that's... I'm saying all this in way of introduction. There's much more to say, but we'll get to that later. Let's bring this home to modern times. We've been talking about what Paul did back then, but what about now? How can we apply this to our churches today? Or how can we apply that even to our church? We don't face the same kind of threats or false teaching that was going on in the churches there in the first century. But we do face our own brand of false teaching and of heresies. Uh, for example, uh, church today are being pressured to accept a, an ungodly morality by our society. And the church is going to have to wrestle with this and struggle with this. And we do face the same great challenge that these early churches faced during the first century. As this time period came to close and as the apostles were passing off the scene... We face the same challenge, challenge as how are we going to pass on the gospel torch to another generation and keep the gospel light burning. We cannot, brothers and sisters, just be content to be saved ourselves and not care what happens to the world around us and not care about what happens in the ministry of this, uh, of the, of this church here once we're gone. If all we care about is having our gospel ticket in our hand, what's going to happen 20 or 30 or 50 years to the ministry here? You know, the gospel, the, the extinguishing of the gospel is always only one generation away. If all people cared about was, well, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters, there wouldn't be a gospel in another generation. That's extremely short-sighted and self-centered. We need to pass the gospel on. We need to be like Paul and Paul's churches, concerned about passing on the torch to another generation. But once we accept this, the question becomes how? How are we going to do it? Well, we've said that these letters written so many years ago can help our churches today. I'd like to suggest to you that what Paul prescribed for the churches in his pastoral letters is just as valid today as it was Many years ago, I'd like to suggest that we can strengthen the church in the same way, to be effective in maintaining the pure gospel against false teaching and to successfully pass the gospel torch on to another generation. Why not strengthen the church as the household of God, just as Paul did? Paul did this by building up strong family units within the church. He built strong families by building strong leaders of those family groups. And we're going to 
go on and say more about this and explore these passages a little bit more that I've touched on today. But let me just leave you with some things to ponder today as I close this message. Number one, the members of today's church are responsible to pass the gospel torch on to our next generation. We need to consider. We need to come to grips with that truth and discover how to do it ourselves. Paul built strong, enduring churches capable of faithfully carrying the gospel torch by building strong household units within that church. Paul built strong household units by raising up faithful men with exemplary Christian character who could teach the pure gospel and refute error. This is what we see here, uh, how they passed on the gospel torch. And we need to finally consider how we might apply this to our own contemporary situation. Just before I close, let me just say, you know, I've been talking a lot about the gospel torch and the gospel light and passing it on. Well, you really can't pass on something that you don't have. Most of you, many of you here may have the gospel light burning in your heart, but I don't know, there may be someone here today that doesn't know Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't have that gospel light burning in their heart. You can't pass something on that you don't have. If you need Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I would be delighted to take a few minutes to share how you can have Christ there and that light can be burning in your life forever and illumine your whole life. Let's close with prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for uh, your word again. I, I pray. Thank you for uh, the gospel that's been passed faithfully along to us. Thank you for shining your light in our, in our hearts and helping us to know you. Help us, Lord, to be faithful here in passing your gospel on to others in our neighborhood, in our nation, and in our world. Help us to find the way to be faithful in this regard as uh, those early churches were. If there's anyone here that doesn't have the light of, gospel, light of Christ in their heart, I pray you would move them to respond to your invitation and accept you as Savior and Lord today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.